Well, last week I was down at Lake Crystal, and as I was praying about going down there the week before, I, I felt like I was supposed to speak on perseverance. And I think it might have even been on the way home, but maybe it was after Cindy said, Mike, I think you need to preach on perseverance here at Victory. So those of you, if anybody listens to their sermons online, you may not be, tell, be able to tell it's the same, but it is, sort of. But I want to start with a story about a man. And his name was John Stephen Akatari. Probably a name you've never, ever heard of. Some of you would be, wouldn't have even been born yet when what I'm going to tell you actually took place. He was from Tanzania. A little early, but that'll work. That's him. He was from Tanzania. He was a marathoner. He'd been working his whole life towards this event. But one of the things that he did not realize, and whoever was helping him coach, which would be very minimal in a lot of those third world countries, they forgot that Mexico City was at an altitude of over a couple thousand feet. And he hadn't trained for that. So he went to Mexico City. He was one of 70 runners to start the marathon. About 57, 58 of them finished the marathon. Many dropped out along the way. For Atari, he started cramping up because of dehydration very early in the race. But he continued to run and try to press through it. And then at about the 18, 18 and a half mile marker into this 26 plus mile race, he was part of a small group of runners who started jostling for positioning as they were running. And because of his cramping and everything else, he took a fall, a nasty fall. He made a big gash on his knee, he hurt his shoulder, and he accidentally dislocated his kneecap when he fell. But he continued. They came out on the course, the medical people, they wrapped some gauze around his wound, to stop the bleeding, and they assumed that he would get in their car and be taken to the Colosseum. But he refused, and he continued on. Well, the winners of the race finished in a little over two hours, but he continued on. It would take a whole other hour for him to begin to get close to the Colosseum. Walking, limping, Running as best he could, he continued on mile after mile after mile. And this is an actual picture of when he got to the stadium. Most of the people had already left. The marathon was the last event. The medal ceremony had already taken place. Most people didn't even realize there was still a runner out on the course. But as he got closer to the Colosseum, people began to recognize and see that there was lights of the vehicles that were escorting him to keep him safe as he was running in the dark. And as he got to the Colosseum, he got to this spot in the Colosseum and he stopped because he knew there was one lap left to run. And he entered into the Colosseum. There was only a few thousand people left in this big Colosseum. The reporters and TV crews, most of them had left, but when they saw the lights and heard there was a runner coming, they came back 
to film it, to capture what was going to take place as the final runner came in. The crowd started clapping. The ones first near where he came in. And though there was only a few thousand people left, the clapping just increased and the, reached a small crescendo as he tried to run the last lap. Limping, walking, running. He concluded the race. He actually got to the finish line. And one of the reporters came to him and said, why in the world did you continue to run? You hurt your shoulder, you've got a big cut on your knee, and you dislocated your kneecap and you continued to run. Why? And his words were simple, a simple quote. My country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me, sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. He persevered. He was going to continue. That something inside of him made him continue to go on when everything in him said, stop, quit going. The title of my message is, When You Can't Keep Going, Keep Going. It's kind of an oxymoron, huh? Doesn't make any sense. When you can't keep going, keep going. I would guess that most of us, I know I have at different times, said or thought something like this. I don't know how much more of this I can take. I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how long, much longer I can put up with this. I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. I don't think I can go on another day, another hour, another minute. We might have said it in regards to our job. We have a bad supervisor. Something's going wrong. Whatever it is, I can't take another day. I can't go on. We might say it in regards to our marriages. I've had it. I can't do this anymore. I'm through. I can't go on. I can't continue. When you can't keep going, keep going. We might say it in regard to sickness and disease. Many of you have faced diseases and sicknesses and birth defects that I'll never understand. I Praise God, I hope I don't completely understand them. But you get to a place battling, fighting every day. It just goes on and on. No end in sight. I can't keep going. I don't think I can do this another day. But you just keep going. Financial situations. Sometimes they're overwhelming. There isn't any money in sight and the bills keep coming. It's more than you can take. I can't do it another day. I can't go to the mailbox one more time. I can't do this. When you can't keep going, you've got to keep going. These kinds of situations are not new in the lives of people. Including Christians. Including children of God. We face these trials. We face these tests. We face these scenarios and these situations way too often sometimes. And we're supposed to. And God knows it. Never hear me say He's putting all these bad things in your life, but He will use them and He knows they're coming. 
We sometimes think, or at least I sometimes think this way when I'm reading stories in the Bible, that somehow or other these characters in the Bible must be superhuman. They, they should all be characters in a Marvel comic book or something. There's no way they can be normal people. But the reality is, and I know we understand this if we think about it, they're just normal people. They're just like you and me. And they went through stuff and they felt like we felt. Their emotions are roller coasters like our emotions are roller coasters. They suffer and experience despair and agony and fear just like we do. But when they couldn't keep going, they just kept going. The Apostle Paul is a a classic example of what I want to share this morning. That when you can't keep going, you keep going. He knew a lot about how to do that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think I'll read it. It's not up above. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be spending time in 2 Corinthians. But he wrote this to the church in Corinth. I'm starting in verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers. We don't want you to be unaware of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened exceedingly beyond our strength so that we despaired even to life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul is staying in the church in Corinth when he's writing them this letter. He says, you got to know this. It's been bad. I mean, really, really bad. It's so bad, we didn't even know if we wanted to stay alive any longer. We were ready to give up. We didn't want to keep going, but we kept going. How did he do it? What did he go through? A little background to the letter in 2 Corinthians. You all know that there's a 1 Corinthians because there's a 2 Corinthians. Paul had written to the church in Corinth, the letter we call 1 Corinthians, because he hadn't been there for a while. It was a church he helped plant. And there were problems. He heard about problems in Corinth in this church. There were doctrinal issues, there were jealousy issues, there were false teacher issues, there were all kinds of things going on. And he wrote a letter. In 1 Corinthians, if you read it, he's kind of a little bit stern because he loved them and wanted to keep them on the right track. But he was a little bit worried because he's a human being. He was a little bit worried that he wrote too stern a letter, that he was a little bit harsh in his rebuke and his correction. And at this time, he's in Ephesus. And he hadn't been to Corinth in three years. And he gets a report from Titus who comes to him and tells him, God, your letter did a lot of good in the church of Corinth. But there's still some issues going on. There's still some bad doctrine being taught. There's some false teachers coming in. And then I think what really got under Paul's skin was there are some people coming that are questioning your willingness, your authority, your ability to be an apostle. You aren't really one. If you read the Second Corinthians, you'll see that it's a little bit different than any other epistle, any other letter that Paul wrote. Matter of fact, if you look at it from the perspective of a human being, I think he got more than a little bit ticked off. And he got a little bit defensive. And as you read the letter in Second Corinthians, you're going to see that he, he shares a lot more personal experiences in that letter. 
visions that he had, experiences that he had. And he spends some time defending himself, even though he didn't want to. He didn't want to brag about himself. But he felt it was necessary. And when I look at that, I see a humanness to Paul that I sometimes miss. Because he's supposed to be this giant of a man. He was. Father of the faith, he was. Human being, yes he is. Yes he was. And that's kind of what's taking place as he's writing this letter in 2 Corinthians and sending it again to Titus, with Titus to Corinth. Because he's going to go there, but he wanted to send a letter ahead. And I'm going to focus on chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read a few verses before I get to the verses we're going to spend most of our time on. I'm going to start with verse 1. He starts here with the word, therefore, making reference to what was before that. And what was before that was he was explaining that he was a minister of the new covenant and that there were a lot of people who were still looking through a veil of the old covenant. But he had been called to preach Jesus Christ. He had been called to, to preach the new covenant. And those that are blinded, that's their problem. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Light shall come out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, our physical body, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. That brings us to verse 8. And the verses I want to focus on are 8 and further. Before I go there, I'm going to jump ahead to 2 Corinthians 11, and this will not be, the scripture won't be on the board, but there will be a couple slides showing what the content of this is. Paul says these words in regard to those false teachers who are questioning his apostolic authority. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder I've been in prison more frequently, have been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in danger from my own brothers or my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. 
I have labored in toil and often have gone without sleep. I have known danger from false brothers. Excuse me. And I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I do not feel their weakness? And who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn? When you can't keep going, keep going. Paul has went through all of this and more. This is what he's experienced. And this is what he says back in verse 8 of chapter 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, and we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Now that sounds bad enough, but we don't usually grasp and understand the depth and power of what he is saying in a verse like that. Those words that he's using in the original language are strong. He's expressing these feelings and these emotions in as strong a way as he possibly can. His humanness is being exposed. He says first, we are afflicted. It means to press hard upon. It means to be troubled, in distress. It's this pressing on you, this pressure that you're feeling from outside. You can hardly stand it. But he says, not crushed. That word means I've been confined. I felt, I felt such pressure that it's like you can't even move. It's like you're trapped and you can't even move your hands. You can't move your arms. You can't even turn around. The pressure is so intense. But I've not been crushed. It's not went that far. In all things, that pressure's there. But it means I've not been suffocated. It didn't kill me. He experienced troubles and trials to the point where it was all closing in on him. Ever feel that way? It's all closing in on him. And he says, but you know what? Not crushed. Not suffocated. And then he goes on and says, perplexed, but not despairing. Perplexed, without resources. To not know what to do. You see no way out. Perplexed. It's overwhelming. You're trapped. You can't escape. You see nothing but darkness. It's closing in all around you. That's when he's saying perplexed. Filled with doubt. Filled with anxiety. Filled with fear. No way out of the situation. Remember verse 8 in chapter 1 that I read? They felt it too. They were despairing for their own lives. That's the pressure he felt. But not despairing. At times, Paul was totally at a loss of what to do. I don't think of Paul like that when I read the epistles. Totally at a loss of what to do. But he says, I'm not in despair. I'm not despairing. I'm not giving up. When he didn't know what to do, when all resources seemed to fail him and there was nothing that could 
could rescue him, something always intervened. And somehow, there was a way of escape. There was a way to, he was received and relieved and saved from that despair. And if we haven't figured it out yet, he goes on and says, persecuted but not forsaken. Persecuted is an interesting word in their language. It means to be followed, chased after. It means to be chased and run out of town, so to speak. Paul's saying, I've been chased everywhere. Everywhere I go. Can you imagine? Everywhere you go. This group of people welcomes you and receives you, and this people, group of people over here wants you to run out, of, run out of town at best, kill you at worst. Almost that feeling of having to always look over your shoulder to see what's coming next, what's going to happen next. Jesus says, I have been persecuted, but I've never been forsaken. I've never been totally abandoned. I was never completely left behind. I think of the Scripture in the Old Testament in a couple places in Deuteronomy, but in Joshua. He says, you know how I was like Moses? God is speaking. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul says, that's my life. That's what I've experienced. Persecuted, but never alone. No matter what. Paul, he knew, Paul knew he was never alone. And he finishes those two verses by saying, I was struck down, but not destroyed. Paul liked to use sports analogies a lot in some of his letters. And the picture here is this. I've been crushed, but not knocked down. It's like a boxing. You might have knocked me down, but you didn't knock me out, and I'm getting up. This is what he was going through day after day after day in his ministry. How in the world did he do this? I believe he did this because he knew his calling, he knew his destiny, he knew his God, he knew the promises of God. I'm going to have you jump back a couple of slides to Jeremiah. We have a destiny, we have a calling. We are going to face challenges. And we are going to even face persecution. We're going to face ridicule. We're going to have to face our own fears as we continue to walk out our calling. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. He's saying that to, to Jeremiah the prophet, but you know what? It holds true for us. And he says, Before I... Formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I consecrated you. I set you apart. We are a set-apart people. God says in the Scripture that we are a peculiar people. We're a different generation. We have been set apart for what? To go into all the world and make disciples. To fulfill your personal destiny. Fulfill your personal calling. To use your gifts to glorify Him. When all things are coming against you and you can't keep going, you've got to keep going. You've got to know you have a calling. And a destiny. In Jeremiah 29:11, again, pretty familiar scripture to many of you. It says, "I know the plans that I have for you." These are His plans now. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and plans to give you hope and give you a future. No matter what's going on in your life. No matter what you're facing, 
no matter what it is that's making you think you can't keep going, you've got you to grab a hold of these truths that we have a destiny and a purpose and God has a plan for you and me and it's to prosper us, to, to make us successful. To, and what does that mean? To accomplish His purposes. Even in the midst of whatever's going on, we have that. And I believe that's part of what drove Paul to be able to keep going when he keep, couldn't keep going. But I think there's more to it. How do you keep an attitude? You know, I want to I be like Paul. I want all of us to be like Paul. How do we do it? I believe in the next few verses he gives us at least four particular things that are critical if you want to keep going when you can't keep going. When everything's coming against you and you find yourself in those places that he talked about of being afflicted, crushed, perplexed, all of those things. Verse 13 says, But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. I believe there is a spirit of faith that he is talking about there that we can read about in 1 Corinthians. There is a gift of faith by the Holy Spirit that's given to all of us when we need it. There is a supernatural faith that's available to every one of us. We all have a measure of faith. But there comes times when we are challenged. Where our faith is challenged. But there is this gift of faith. There's this faith where Paul says, I believed. Therefore, he continued to speak. He continued to carry out his ministry. When we're in the midst of affliction, do we have that faith? Do we believe? Do we believe what we know to be the truth? The second point I want to mention. In verse 14, he goes on and he says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Yes, there is a truth that needs to be believed. There's faith and it's founded in truth. The truth Knowing, without a shadow of a doubt, if it's in the Word of God, it's true. Knowing what? Well, here it's talking about there is going to be a resurrection. There is going to be an afterlife. That's all good and well, and that's nice for then. But what about now? It applies to us now just as well. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead didn't disappear when Jesus went to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in each one of us. The power of the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives and dwells in us. Paul knew that. He understood that. It was truth. He stayed focused on that truth. Paul understood the devil could not defeat him. The grave couldn't hold him. He was raised from the dead. That power is there in us. Which brings me to the focus. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16, but I'm going to focus on 16 first. For all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, but through our outer, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. I believe, focus. He did not lose his focus. We do not lose heart. Man, when those things come against us, whatever those things are in your life, boy, is it easy for your focus 
to go to the wrong place. It goes to your circumstances. It goes to the fact that your bank account's empty. It goes to the fact that your wife or husband just walked out the door and said they aren't coming back. It goes to that place where, where your boss is just unmerciful towards you and no matter what you do, you can't do anything right. Your family is rejecting you. Your relationships are falling apart. It's easy to focus on all of those things instead of the right thing. Jesus. Focusing. Do not lose heart. If we lose our focus, we will not be able to keep going when we can't keep going. We'll stop. We'll stop. And sadly, just like Akari, when he started running and they expected him to stop, there are all kinds of people who are okay. It's okay. It's okay. This is tough. You just need to stop. They come with such nice counsel. Just give up. Throw in the towel. It's not worth it. They're focusing on the wrong thing. Keeping our focus on the author and finisher of our faith. It's kind of like Akari. They didn't, they didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. God didn't call us and save us and send His Son to die for us that we might get saved and then do nothing. To live the way we used to live in despair and oppression and selfishness and jealousy. There's something called the fruit of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in us. He has called us to continue on, to finish the race. I bring up one of my favorite verses very often. You'll get sick of it probably sometime. I press toward the goal. I press on. I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us upward. Pressing on. When you can't keep going, keep going. Focus. And the last one is in verses 17 and 18 that I want to mention briefly. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension, all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. As difficult as it is, we're in that place when we can't keep going. It's all temporary. It's all temporal. Even in the natural, it's all temporal. But what should really keep us focused is on the eternal. No matter what we're going through in this life that we have on this earth, is temporal. And look what it says about the eternal. As we're going through this, it says it's light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that our affliction is producing for us. For us. An eternal weight of glory it's producing for us. I don't want to go through those things. But if I keep my mind on the eternal reward, I can keep going when I can't keep going. So I think those four things are things that we can take from Paul's experience. That there is a faith, a gift of faith. It's I believe no matter what. The truth. Jesus was alive. He lives. He was raised from the dead and the same power that raised Him from the dead lives in me. 
I'm not going to throw in the towel. I may be knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. Focus. The purpose, the glory of God. Stay focused. That it may abound for His glory. And lastly, the future. Light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that's producing in each one of us. We need to persevere. And I stand up here knowing it's not easy. I know it's not easy. And I know there's a whole lot of people that want us to fail and throw in the towel. I know there's a whole lot of people that will encourage us to throw in the towel. So that's when we need to realize there is something greater in us that allows us to keep going when we can't keep going. And we need to keep our focus on the truth of who He is and what we believe and the eternal purposes that God has for us. No matter what you think about yourself, you have a destiny. You have a purpose and you have a calling. And the devil hates it. And sadly, so do most unbelievers. But who are we going to listen to? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we do have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us, that Jesus said it was better that He leave than stay, that the Holy Spirit might come, that we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us, dwelling in us. God, I, I, I know there are many things going on in our lives that are pushing us towards that place where we don't think we can go on. Rescue us by Your Holy Spirit. Remind us of what we know to be true. Remind us of what we believe. Draw our focus and our attention back to You. That everything that we go through would abound for Your glory. Knowing also that it is preparing for us glory in heaven. Lord, I pray now also as we leave this morning and go our separate ways that we would walk with a clearer vision. We would walk in hope and joy and peace that can only come from You. That as we walked like this, we would truly be that light that shines in the darkness. That it would draw people to us that we might share the good news of the Gospel. Share the hope that lives in us pray you'd watch over us, protect us as we go. And we pray that you'd get all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.